You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Welcome to another episode of Driving Law. This week, we have a shortened episode because, well, we already had an emergency episode midweek, so we don't want to overwhelm you with too much driving law. Well, we also have to get back to hearings. Yes. So let's get going. So um, the first, I guess, piece of driving law-related news is the B.C. Court of Appeal released judgment uh, this week in one of our cases involving... This question of whether or not a parking lot is a highway and sadly did not really decide the question. <laughs> well, it's unfortunate. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't overturn or say that any of the existing case law is incorrect. No, but clarify the law in some respects. But the um, yeah, we succeeded in B.C. Supreme Court and it was a, an argument essentially about what an adjudicator has got to consider when a, a uh, um what issue is not centrally put before them by the <laughs> applicant, but should be still nevertheless considered by the adjudicator in our opinion? Yes. And so the Court of Appeal, what we were really concerned about was the superintendent's position was that unless you argue it in the hearing, if there's a problem with uh, with the police report or with the evidence or or with the the ability of the officer to have issued the prohibition, if there's a flaw, the adjudicator is effectively entitled to ignore it um, and just confirm the prohibition if a person isn't wise enough to point out a defect. So the real risk, obviously, is if you're a self-represented person, something that's ill-advised, I can say, uh, and um, you conduct your hearing and there's some defect that uh, your lawyer who's uh, attuned to this would identify right away for the tribunal. Um, and the, um, you know, you as a self-represented person don't know that that's a, a issue that's decided or, uh, an issue of concern as a result of the case law or the motor vehicle act or what have you. Uh, and the adjudicator, they, you know, they basically took the position that if you didn't bring it up, um, even if it's, uh, something that really goes to the heart of it, then, uh, they would not have to consider it. And that, yeah, like too, the, that never too seemed, bad, so sad. Yeah. That didn't seem right to us. Um. You know, if there's an obvious reason that you should be acquitted, even if you you miss that argument in a criminal case, yep. uh, you know, the judges and the judge realizes it, you know, and can see it and it, and should be attuned to it, then you should still be entitled to that acquittal. Yep. Similarly, in a uh, administrative matter, um, you know, if it's something that is glaring, essentially. Expert tribunal, right? Expert tribunal. They should be able to identify the issue and, and deal with it. So what's the... What, what do we end up with out of this, Kyla? We end up with, if it's not an obvious error, adjudicators don't have to consider every possible argument a person could have raised. They only have to consider the arguments that are raised, which is, I would say, a defense for my position of putting in written submissions on every possible argument, because at least it engages the adjudicator's obligation to consider it. So, yeah, this is one thing that Kyla does, and we debate about it all the time. So, uh, right. you know, we have 30 minutes for a hearing, right, an IRP or an ADP hearing. And so generally what we do is we focus in on a, a couple of key issues that we think will likely be most likely to to lead to the um, the prohibition being overturned. In the oral submissions. In the oral submissions, and that's 30 minutes. And we run out of time all the time. We run out of time. 
So Kyla sends in written submissions on a bunch of other points and, and people get their decision back. If they're successful, they don't know that, you know, that's how we succeeded uh, because you don't get reasons when you're successful. If you're not successful, then you've got the adjudicator saying, Miss Lee argued this and this and this and this. And then it sounds like we're just like, you know, willy nilly throwing things out there. No, the idea here is that, you know, engage every possible, engage ground, of every possible ground of review. And, and sometimes, I, you know, that may be the reason that we succeeded because it really hit the spot in that case. So it's a it's a difficult thing for us because, you know, it feels like they're slagging us for um, for arguing all of these things. Almost in every case, there's some things that we're sending in written submissions on that we think the adjudicator needs to consider. Um, and, um, you know, if we're, if we're successful on it, that's great. If we're rejected on it, it makes it sound like we're sending in boilerplate and it's not boilerplate. It's intended to deal with these specific issues. Yep. Um, but they, they did say they threw a bone and they said, but look, it is an expert tribunal. And so if there is an obvious flaw, although they did not define what that would be. But one would think, you know, missing certificate evidence, it's not properly sworn, the ASD demand is made after 20 minutes of unexplained delay, something obvious. The device has not been sent in for its annual service. It's not calibrated. Then the adjudicator, regardless of whether the issue is raised, still needs to consider it. So... I don't know. It's like a mixed result. Yeah, I don't think it's going to have any really good effect for anybody. I don't think it's going to help anybody out who's a, a self-represented person in the end. Yep. Uh, and I think it's just a an easy way for an adjudicator to just say, I've considered this and I've considered this and I've considered this and I reject all of those things as well. Yep. So there you go. That's the update on that. Now, talking about bad outcomes in judicial reviews... There's another judicial review case that came out uh, yesterday from the BC Supreme Court. Uh, this is the case of uh, Sukhdeep Baines. It's nothing particularly interesting. It is essentially Mr. Baines. Uh, well, I guess the facts are interesting. The facts are interesting. <laughs> uh, Mr. Baines is in a motor vehicle accident and happens to be in a motor vehicle accident right outside the residence of a police officer. Off-duty police officer. Yep. So. Here's know. a crash. Goes outside. <laughs> now, you got to imagine in an IRP case, you probably won't even get the statement of that person. You're just going to get the officer in their report giving a summary of it, which yep. is, is very frustrating, especially for a, uh, when lawyers look at it who don't do a lot of these or for a self-represented person looking at it going, how can they put that in and that's evidence? Yep. So off-duty police officer... Walks outside, sees Mr. Baines sitting uh, in or exiting the driver's seat of the vehicle, um, which has crashed into a ditch. Um, He calls the police, the on-duty police (laughs) who show up. Uh, They form grounds to believe he's been drinking. They give him an ASD demand. And uh, after several tries, he unsuccessfully provides a sample. Or I guess doesn't. Doesn't provide a sample. Unsuccessfully. (laughs) Um, And... His argument on the review hearing was, well, I wasn't the one driving. Somebody else was driving and it definitely wasn't me. So that vague somebody else was yeah. driving. One-armed the one-armed man. man. Um, where's Waldo? 
um, mm-hmm. the uh, somebody else is driving is the claim, and uh, doesn't really back it up, and doesn't have the evidence from that other person. Doesn't even say their name, and um, says that he's just like popping in the driver's side to grab something or something. Yeah. So the adjudicator says, well, you say that you were not driving and the designated driver fled the scene. I note you do not say that you told the witness or the police about this alleged designated driver. I would think that you would have wanted the witness to know, especially as this alleged driver may have still been in the area, considering that you say you assume he fled on foot. Given that you have not said on review that you ever told the witness or police that there was a designated driver and the witness did not observe the alleged designated driver leave the scene, I find this causes me to further question your version of events. And the adjudicator also finds the off-duty officer to be uh, credible because he wasn't uh, partial to the police in that case. He was just a concerned citizen. His police hat was off, both literally and figuratively. You're right. Um, Cop's a cop's a cop. Cop is a cop. Um, it's, it's an immutable characteristic as they want you to believe when they say things like saying the thick blue line is discrimination or defund the police. No, the thick blue line is like saying that the the blue line is not thin, it's thick. And defund the police and ACAB, that's all discriminatory because they believe policing is an immutable characteristic. So it's a strange mental gymnastics. Yes. Anyway, um... There's also uh, the adjudicator identified that um, there was no uh, information about from from Mr. Uh, Baines about when the accident took place, what time his alleged designated driver left, what time the witness arrived, if he was in the driver's seat when the witness w- arrived, if he was waiting outside the vehicle, why he was getting out of the driver's door. He basically just didn't address the heart of the evidentiary issues in the case. And you're thinking to yourself, you know, every once in a while we get clients or new employees as we try to explain the system to them. Why are you going like, it's? aren't you beating a dead horse? And unfortunately, our, our dead horse beating thing sort of ends up having to influence how we deal with things in provincial court where you should just be able to raise reasonable doubt. But, you know, you, you in an IRP, you have to... You have to flesh it out. You really have to flesh it out. You re- Beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah, effectively. Yeah. That's not how it's supposed to be, but that's how it is. And so, I mean, obviously this is a case where the evidence from Mr. Baines did not even reach the balance of probabilities. Like, he didn't name them. He didn't address the evidentiary details that went to the heart of the issue. He didn't explain why he didn't tell the, the uh, police or the witness there but at the roadside. It's yet another example of why it's good to have somebody who does a lot of these types of hearings address everything that is possible to be addressed. Well, unfortunately, we've read a lot of losing decisions that are our yes. own. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. consequently, it's an instructed and informed our method. Yep. Yep, it has. Um, but that's fine. The method is the method, and the method mostly works most of the time. You do your best. So there you go. That's that's what you need to know about the world of IRPs right now. Well, that was a judicial review, and in the end, it doesn't really add or take away or anything from the world of judicial review decisions, so it's not one we're going to be citing in the future. No. But as we said, this was going to be a shorter podcast this week because we had our our emergency episode on Monday, but I did not want to leave our listeners, Paul, without the ridiculous driver of the week. A surprising bestseller? The pinpoint method of cross-examination is catching on. Law firms and new litigators across Canada have caught on to cross-examination, the pinpoint method, 
Kaiva Lee's straightforward handbook that teaches you effective cross-examination skills. <laughs> every week, it's something so good. And every week, it's uh, something so different. And, you know, there's a lot we could do that would be sort of something repeated. The person, you know, 12 people cut their cars in half in street racing accidents in the last three oh, months and, and walked away. That pooped in Pringles cans in his car well, and then drove them to parking lots and threw them out the window. Yes, probably. that was uh, that could have been, certainly. <laughs> Watch uh, Weird and Wacky Wednesdays for that story. It's coming out next <laughs> week, probably. But uh, no, it's not. It is uh, somebody else. Wait, wait, I, have to, I have to say, when you read me this headline after you found this story, I... I was really puzzled as to how this could be the case. So the headline is Florida man arrested for quitting job in the middle of transporting prison inmates, deputies say. And I thought, well, you're allowed to quit your job, even if your job is transporting inmates. I mean, like, what, did he just leave them alone and walk off the job? Did he release them all? What did he exactly do? Drove to KFC, <laughs> left them in the back in the hot, hot sun. I don't know. You wonder. Uh, so apparently this Orlando man uh, was working for a private prison transport contract company. And so he's driving his employer's van. He goes to the prison. He picks up a bunch of prisoners. There's four inmates locked in the cargo area. And then his colleague, who's sitting in the passenger seat. And as he's driving, he decides, fuck it. <laughs> I'm not working for these people anymore. And he drives completely off the course he's supposed to go um, uh, down the I-40 highway in Orlando and uh, refuses to stop at the destination that the prisoners are meant to go at. And his colleague is sitting there being like, the fuck, dude, we're off course, texting his employer, who ultimately calls the police. So what do you think the charges were, Paul? They're pretty serious charges, as I recall. I mean, he's, he's aside from the fact that he's going to get a really bad uh, job reference, employer. <laughs> Why did you leave your previous job? Well... <laughs> you see, he wasn't. It doesn't. There's no indication that he was like in cahoots with any of the guys in the back or anything. So he could have four inmates who are really pissed at him too. Yep, might be, they might have been happy to ride around to the back of He's the van. Charged with four counts of aggravated kidnapping. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he is also charged with felony larceny, so essentially theft of a motor vehicle. So he could end up going to prison and uh, getting to meet those guys again. Yeah. So there you go. That's uh, so that's why you should never quit your job, I guess. Well, don't quit your job in those circumstances. Yeah. But, uh, you know, write a nice email to your employer. And uh, what employees think they should do and what they should do is often a, uh, a uh, very strange, um, strange difference. I'm often surprised yeah. <laughs> at people. In any event, that's a good one. Yep. So there you go. That is the uh, that is the podcast. And if you need to find us related to a driving law issue, you can give us a call at 604-685-8089 or find us online at VancouverCriminalLaw.com and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.